Welcome to MDASH. I'm Kim Aquaviva. Today's episode, Niagara Falls, featuring Amy Berman. My name is Amy Berman. I'm a registered nurse. I'm an expert in geriatric care, care of older adults. Um, I'm a single mother um, to a lovely uh, young lady named Stephanie. And uh, I'm also a person who has a serious illness. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that today. About six and a half years ago, um, I saw a spot on my right breast and I went to the doctor and found out that I have a rare form of cancer that um, it's a life-limiting cancer. It's, it's a terminal cancer. So when I say that I'm seriously ill, um, I'm terminally ill. This is likely the disease that will end my life very soon. Um, I think they said that the, um, the likely course of the disease for people like me, 11 to 20 percent survive five years. In other words, it's unlikely that I would live for five years. And I'm at six and a half years and I still feel great. I'm active, I work, I have a lot of fun, I have a great life, um, and the cancer is progressing. But a lot of the decisions that I made with my healthcare providers um, really helped me to live a good life in the face of serious illness. Uh, so I'm, I'm a registered nurse, and so I have some knowledge of healthcare, but I'm not an oncology nurse. I don't know about cancer in particular. And I had this little red spot um, appear and it looked kind of like the skin of an orange. It had little tiny dots within it like the dimpling of the skin of an orange and it was red. And I knew that this was not good and I had read an article about this um, and I thought that it might be that kind of cancer. So I went to my primary care doctor and my primary care doctor had this grim look on her face and she immediately called somebody that she knew so that they would uh, take me and um, and you know do some images of the breast to see what was going on inside the breast and also do a biopsy and when I went um, you know the person who uh, did the mammogram um, you know did the imaging of the breast she was looking at her screen and I was looking at her and her face just changed dramatically. And I had to sit in this waiting room in the little robe that I had worn into the, um, in, into the room where you got the mammogram and you wait to have the results read because sometimes these images aren't taken well and you go back in and have more images done. And as I'm sitting there in the hallway with other women who were also in their little white robes, all of a sudden, um, all of the young doctors were going into the room where they were reading these images. Uh, the radiologist was sitting in a chair in front of her screen and I could see the look on the face of the radiologist which was the same look on my primary care doctor's face which was the same look on the woman's face who took the mammogram. And all the doctors were around this radiologist. And I got up out of my chair and I, I said, I'm Amy Berman, are those my images? And she looked at me and she said, would you like to meet the enemy? And that was my first chance um, to know that everything that I thought was true. 
And again, you know, I, I may be a healthcare professional by training, but at that moment, I can only tell you, I was very much a patient waiting for somebody to tell me what's going on with me and, and some sense of what to do. Um, this woman very kindly, the radiologist, asked all the other doctors to leave the room. And she sat me down next to her, and she talked me through all the things that she was seeing on the screen. And I, I felt pretty sure that that was not what she would normally do. But I also thought that probably a patient wouldn't have gone up to her and said, those are my images, aren't they? So she knew that I needed information. Um, I, I, she was a lovely, lovely woman. Um, and we became, we became friends out of the experience. But she was the first one to, to let me know Everybody else had let me know by their facial expressions. She was the first one to, to actually sit with me and show me exactly what was going on. And um, from there, I, I met with the oncologist. And the oncologist uh, said that they were going to do a biopsy to confirm that it was cancer. But they could see that there was uh, a lot going on in the breast. They could see what they thought was cancer. And the next day, I had... Um, I had a biopsy done of the breast, and the biopsy confirmed that it was cancer. You know, it's such a slow process. It's, it's kind of like you're, you're dropping off a cliff when somebody says that you have cancer. And this kind of cancer, there's no cure. So I, you know, I had gone home and read everything that I could read, and, and every step of the way, my, my uh, morale was sinking quickly. Um, but it's it's kind of a slow process because you don't know immediately what you have. You don't know immediately how bad it is. So even after they did the biopsy, you know, that could confirm cancer, and it did. But then they had to do a scan of my body to figure out whether or not the cancer had spread. Was it small and local or had it spread far and and this particular kind of cancer typically is spread far it it floats in the body it's not a solid mass that you pick up on a on a self-exam you know on a breast self-exam so unfortunately most people with inflammatory breast cancer my rare form of of breast cancer they're diagnosed at stage three or stage four which means spread far or spread very far and and mine was at stage four they did the scan, and they saw that it had spread to my lower spine. Um, what that really means is that it's floating around in my bloodstream. It goes to every part of my body. It just happens to be attracted to the bone. So that's, that's what it likes. At some point, it's going to like other things, and it will be attracted to other areas of my body. And, you know, the cancer will progress uh, over time. But it's, but it's already spread far. Nothing is going to cure it. The question is, how do you manage it? You know, my local doctor, because it's a rare cancer, said if I wanted to go for a second opinion, that would be absolutely fine. But the other thing that that my oncologist, the, the cancer doctor, said, um, she asked what was important to me, knowing that this was not a curable cancer, what was really important to me. And I told her that I want to live as good a life as possible, and I don't want her to focus on pushing for more bad days. I want her to focus on giving me the best possible days for the time that I have.
that that's what's really important to me. I called it Niagara Falls. I said, you know, I want to feel good, good, good and drop off the cliff. And she got that. And so she said, you know, what we can do is we can give you treatments to hold back the cancer that have the least amount of side effect. So you can have as good a life as possible and we'll try to hold back the cancer that instead of doing the throw everything at it approach. She said that probably would be more tailored to what I wanted. I went though for a second opinion. I went to another doctor who is the leading expert or one of the leading experts in the country on my rare form of cancer. When I went to see that doctor, I had to bring slides of my cancer so he could confirm that I had inflammatory breast cancer. And he did a self-exam and he didn't ask me any questions about what was important to me. He actually didn't ask me anything. What he said was, this is what we're going to do for you. He said, we're going to do the most intense chemotherapy your body can handle. Then we're going to do a mastectomy, followed by radiation. And then we're going to go back and do the most heavy-duty chemotherapy that your body can handle. We're going to fight, fight, fight. Now, comparing this to that first doctor, it was as though... I was going to be dropped off the cliff at the beginning of the illness. You know, I was going to feel very poorly. Um, I was going to do very poorly. And I was still going to go out to the same endpoint. He wasn't going to be curing the cancer. So I went back to my original doctor. I left the world's leading expert and went back to my local oncologist and got the care and treatment there. And I have to say, she's really focused on things that are important to me. She's been focused on helping me to feel as well as possible and do as well as possible instead of, you know, really how to, you know, how to, how to just fight the cancer. She's really fighting for me. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, you know, they may be treating an illness, but they're really treating a person. And somebody has to take the time to understand who we are, what's important to us, what are our values, um, how do we want to be cared for, even, even what do we want to be called. And, and that's really what I learned through this experience. Um, there were two doctors who were both world class. One of them could care nothing about who I was. And I would have had a very different experience. I would have been thrown off the cliff and gone out to the same end point. It just would not have been a good experience. And, and as it is, I've lived now for six and a half years with stage four cancer. I lived the prognosis and felt well for six and a half years. I have a professional life and I, I certainly have added to my professional life in, in sharing my experience so that other people can learn that they have choices about, you know, how they want to live well with serious illness. But I also have, you know, the fun personal life and I've climbed the Great Wall of China. Um, I've, I've ridden a camel in the desert in, in Jordan. I've, uh, uh, I jet skied around the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> you know, and all this with stage four cancer. And, you know, these aren't just kind of fun things. It's I really do live a very fun and full life. Anybody who knows me knows it's not just about the work. All of this helps support me be me. Palliative care is the best friend of the seriously ill.
And the reason that it's the best friend is because palliative care is an extra layer of support that can go along with curative care, people who are going to get better from the disease. Sometimes the treatment or the disease can really knock you for a loop. You get a lot of pain and symptoms, a lot of problems. And palliative care helps address those things so that while you're getting cured, you get, you know, you feel well. For most people, they're living with a serious illness. I am not dying. I mean, if you looked at me, I, I'm going to die at some point, but not today. Um, you know, today I'm living with serious illness. Palliative care helps people who have a chronic disease, who are living with diseases that cause them, you know, the possibility of, of distress and symptoms, and, and it helps address them and their family's needs and, and really is an extra layer of support while they get that care. And then at the end of life, um, maybe maybe at that point, it's it's all about palliative care. It's all about trying to manage the pain and symptoms. It's all about trying to give you the best possible life for those remaining days. So palliative care is something that I embrace. It's it's the reason that you hear me as a happy, regular, yay, person, um, palliative care has been there for me. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's in my corner. Uh, I don't know what I would do without palliative care. A lot of people view palliative care as giving up. They don't know what palliative care is. And I mean, if you hear anything in my voice, you know I'm not giving up. Palliative care helps me. It's, it's the wind at my back. It is that help that, um, you know, manages whatever problems I have along the way so that I get to feel well and can keep going. It is not taken up very well in communities of color. And um, there, there is less access to palliative care, but there's also a greater distrust or lack of, lack of knowledge about what palliative care is. And if there is anything that you want to run toward, whether you are curative or chronically ill or at the end of life, palliative care should be top of your list, um, you know, in terms of making sure that you can live as well as possible. Um, everybody else is treating the disease. Palliative care is really treating you. Um, so I, I strongly, strongly support palliative care. The other thing is that there has been um, research to show that when you get palliative care, particularly when, you, when it's introduced early in the course of a disease, that you live not only better, but you live longer. And it may be that living better is the thing that keeps you out of the hospital. And people like me, if I go into the hospital, my immune system is compromised. I tend to get other things. So that would be the beginning of a lot of problems. So palliative care is the thing that keeps you out and well. So I, I would strongly, strongly suggest um, thinking about palliative care as part of that care. And it's part of my care. I'll give you an example of something that happened with palliative care, how they helped me. About a year and a half ago, uh, I had um, some new pain in the middle of my back. And one of the medications that I'm on to hold the cancer back can make me get little fractures. So I just assumed that I had a little fracture in my back and they did an x-ray, there was no fracture. So they did a scan. And the scan showed that the cancer had moved into the middle of my back, right near, right near my spine. And it hurt a lot. 
it, you know, it was really painful. It was kind of this low, deep pain that was just taking the joy out of life. It's like everything is gray. You can't really enjoy when you feel, when you feel pain constantly. It's wearing. And I went to the palliative care team, and they said, you know, these are the choices. The best choice is actually to get radiation, not like that curative radiation, but it's a, it's a dose that's just strong enough to knock out the pain. It basically, you know, deadens the, the pain receptors. They said that most people get 10 to 20 doses of radiation. So you would be going constantly and getting these 10 to 20 doses. But they said there had just been a study done up in Canada. We love Canada. And Canada, they looked at 16,000 people who had pain in their bones. And they showed that one slightly larger dose of radiation was as effective as the 10 to 20 doses. And what that meant is, number one, you get immediate relief. Number two, you don't get all of those bad side effects like crushing fatigue and burning and redness and peeling of the skin. And you know what? You get to go to work. You don't have to, you know, your life isn't interfered with with 10 to 20 days of, you know, going and getting radiation. So on every level, that's a winner. We don't tend to do it as much in this country because people get paid for 10 to 20 doses of radiation. So we've tended to do the, the 10 to 20 versus the, the one. But this became a recommendation of the Choosing Wisely campaign, which is something that the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation puts out. These are recommendations about high-value care, things that are better choices. And so my palliative care team lovely as they are, they also follow the research and they said, this is the recommendation. So the next day I went and I got what's called single fraction, one dose of radiation. And wouldn't you know it, it turned off the pain like a light switch. And I was off on a train to Washington DC for a meeting the very next day. Uh, and not even redness, not even redness. I mean, it just worked like a charm. But the palliative care team didn't just do that. They prevented me from having other kinds of distress. But they also said sometimes when you get radiation, you get this pain flare. Like the, it's kind of like a, um, a candle, you know, fizzing before it finally goes out. And they gave me a prescription for um, a pain medication in case that happened so that I wouldn't get into trouble. I wouldn't have to show up in the emergency room. Well, fortunately, I never got the pain flare, but I knew that I wouldn't have to go into the emergency room if I did. I knew what to expect. I had something so that I could deal with it if I did. I mean, they were brilliant. They continue to be exactly what you would want in your corner. I hold nurses in the highest esteem. I couldn't speak more highly, and I've had the opportunity to um, intersect with strong, uh, phenomenally supportive people, both on my palliative care team and on my cancer care team, uh, that are just amazing. The compassion that they've shown, the, the way that they explain things, they, they're just phenomenal. I don't know how much time I have left. You know, I, I would kind of guess that this might be my last year because the cancer's progressing and I'm on my third medication and they, you know, third line therapy, each time they become less effective. So my guess is that I don't have a tremendous amount of time. 
And what I'd really like to see, I would like to see the public to understand that palliative care is there for them. I'd like to see an expansion of palliative care so that people who need it can get it. I'd like for healthcare professionals to better understand palliative care. We have a big problem in that there are many healthcare professionals who don't refer to the palliative care team because they don't understand what it is. They think it's going to undo their care, not that it's going to be that extra support for their for their patients and their families. And you know, I, I think we have some policy problems that need to be solved. We need to be able to have palliative care available in the community. Right now, the bulk of palliative care is in the hospital. And what that means is everything has to go wrong for you to access palliative care. Well, that's just not right. We need to make sure that people proactively have the kind of care that I get. And I get this care because I ask for it. But for other people, they may not know to ask for it. And this is the standard of care. It's the standard of care according to the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, which is the highest body in the land in terms of the evidence around, around health care. And it's just, it's just not the way that it is today. So we need to do a lot more. I hope anybody who's listening to this, if they have a family member who's seriously ill, that they make sure to know that, um, that palliative care is included in their care. And if they don't know how to access it, they should go to a website, www.getpalliativecare.org. And that's through the Center to Advance Palliative Care. You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. For show notes for today's episode, visit www.em-podcast.com.